you're spending that much time with them, which you should be, then you're going to know that something's off, right? If you have those conversations, if you're in touch with people like that, you may have better insight into sort of the macro reasons that are driving the problems instead of just sort of, hey, there's a motion we're not doing on this particular deal because oftentimes the problems are not deal-related, they're people-related. They start with the person. Definitely, and the personalities as well, right? And I think that's the big thing that always struck me as a, a sales manager is when you do spend that time, how do you uncover with each seller what makes them tick and what are the things that you can identify with them? Hi, friends. Welcome to Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Pat Rogers. Pat's the founder and CEO of Loop. And today, we're going to talk about some of the key findings from Loop's industry research report titled, The State of Sales Performance Management. Now, today, we're going to get into what the value is of data-driven coaching, and we'll get into what managers say about how to close the gap between their intent to coach their sellers and their actual performance. Pat and I will also dive into the reasons why, across the board, Loop survey found a misalignment between sales leadership, managers, sales reps, and revenue operations, and what managers believe is a lack of useful data-driven insights, which negatively affects their ability to coach reps, manage performance, and be helpful in closing deals. Now, before we get to Pat, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Pat, welcome to the show. Andy, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So you're joining us from where today? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. The uh, the race car state, so to speak. Is that... <laughs> that's It's taken over from the Hoosier state? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a Hoosier at heart, so... Okay, you're born and raised... Half half of my life, so uh, Texas born. Uh, got to get out of the military. Moved us up to Indianapolis, and other than uh, a stint in Chicago, I've been here ever since. Okay, all right, back home. Yeah, I, was, I haven't been to Indianapolis that much. I mean, I, I don't know why my my business travels. I got to uh, West Lafayette a lot, but not uh, ah. for some reason. I had people I knew in Purdue and conferences yep. I went to, and so on, but. All right. Well, we're going to talk today about a study that, that your company has done on the state of sales performance management. Now, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I think it's one of the things that managers do least well is manage performance. Couldn't agree more. It, uh, it's something that I've seen throughout my career, both as a, a leader and in companies that had focused on this topic and something that we just have overlooked over the years. Well, I just I, you know, I draw the distinction between performance and doing your job. I mean, to me, performance implies not just being good, but being you know better than just good. Absolutely, I think that's that's definitely the you know uh, we seem to find managers coaching pretty often on here's what I need you to do, not what you can do to be better. And I think that's that's kind of one of the other distinctions that I tend to make in in thinking about performance versus um, you know why you get your paycheck. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so I want to go through the report and some of the key findings you had in there because, <laughs> quite honestly, I found some kind of shocking. But but before starting with that, is 
is one of the things that that I think we just haven't done well enough in sales is is said are we are we managing sales properly just in general right I mean you look at sales itself we've had these you know I don't to call them revolutions we've had this you know this F steady evolution of the sales role itself where certainly for a lot of companies now who are in a more virtual mode but even those that were more virtual before the the COVID shutdown. Yeah, we've got more specialized sales roles, SDRs, AEs, you know, customer success, BDRs, blah, yada, yada, yada. And yet, from a management standpoint, and I've made this point a lot on the show, so people I'm sure <laughs> may be tired of hearing it, but we haven't changed a thing in terms of how we manage sales. Fundamentally, I mean, it's, it's still somewhat the same as it's been for 100 years. So how do we change that? I mean, to me, that's really the key to changing how we manage for performance, I mean, I, I draw the analogy to big sport I follow, soccer. No mystery of people listening to the show. And you look at the management staff, if you will, on a professional soccer team, and it's all about performance. You know, they have generally they have two or three people with the title performance in their title, whether it's you know data analytics or it's uh, you know fit physical fitness performance or it's you know skills performance. And yet we'd have none of that in sales. We still expect that frontline manager and the VP to be know-it-alls that know all about all these different aspects of elevating performance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you know, it even goes back a little bit further. Not only have we not changed the way we manage, but we haven't uh, even then or now invested in teaching those who are managing how to manage. So we, we kind of focus all of our investment uh, across the board on Hey, reps need these things. Reps can do these things, even rep training. But it's very hard to find true manager training anywhere. And so even, even at the know-it-all level, we're still not investing in them to make that level better. So we're even further behind than we could be. Right. Well, and so two questions in there. One is, why do companies still take sales for granted? Um, which I, that's how I, I term it, right? There's just sort of like... Yeah, we're going to put a bunch of money into sales, but we're not really, we don't really care about performance, quite frankly. If, if we just get enough, right? We, we hit our growth targets, even though so much we're leaving on the table. Yeah, we're okay with that, right? We just minimal investment, we'll make something happen. As opposed to, wow, we could really take a modern approach to sales management, because as we claim, we're doing a modern approach to, to selling, and we don't. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where are the attitudes have to change? I mean, obviously, it has to start changing at the top and say, look, but also I think VPs of sales and others have to have the courage, quite frankly, to say, yeah, if we really want to optimize performance, I feel comfortable saying to you, Mr. CEO, I don't know. I'm not you know, optimal to, and I haven't been training on how to train people in these skills or how to train people in these mindsets or how to train people, you know. In these proficiencies, let's say in business acumen or whatever, yet it sort of starts with them because I think that whole there's upper level of fear at the senior management level to admit that they don't know everything. Yeah, I definitely agree on that front, and I think you know the the biggest challenge that we've always faced is that the answer has traditionally been let's just throw more bodies at it, and our conversion will continue to rise, and it's just a numbers game instead of taking a step back and saying. Why do the numbers? Why are the numbers doing what they're doing, and and how do we actually pick those apart to find those opportunities to 
change the storyline, change the way that we engage not only with our sellers, but also our buyers. And so I think that's one of the biggest challenges we've seen. So we end up with a manager that has, you know, eight to 10 reps underneath them. Uh, how are they going to get anything done? And so it's the, the numbers game has kind of proliferated this. Well, if we can just manage by the conversion rate, then we'll be okay. And I think that that's something that, you know, overall, when we think about modern, we should be able to do more with less if we're actually paying attention to the right things. Right. Well, but, and that speaks to this issue of, as you brought up, is, yeah, if we just throw more crap into the top of the funnel and play the numbers game, you know, the way with the levers we pull are just more investment top of the funnel and more bodies to, to call the leads that come in. Um, or the leads, you know, call on our you know, on our better list that we have in our proactive outbound but but it's not fundamentally changing levels of performance and and so one thing that really sort of caught my eye in the report relatively early on is this whole idea of what you call data-driven coaching and this the stat that jumped out at me was the report is that 75 percent of sellers say they rarely receive coaching with supporting data and i'm like well what are they talking about what <laughs> you know if you have a, a meeting with your coach and he's saying look i listened to your call and you know here's a suggestion you know when you get into this situation try try this approach with the buyer and based on what that data is telling me as well yeah unless you have data to back the seller saying to the manager unless you have data to back that up that, that approach really works yeah, it's not credible. And that seems like a huge issue. Definitely. And I think that's the, you know, we we force reps to input information or we buy tools to help find all this data. And we're using all these things to collect information and saying, hey, it's your job to actually put this data in. But then we're never using that data to actually come back and say, this is why. This is this is how you get better. This is why if you take these steps, we're going to see this type of change. And, and that's really the, the most interesting thing. And what we've found and, and talked about over time, and you kind of see it. So it's you have a lot of frontline managers that were sellers for two years. And maybe that, that's their whole experience is you know, mm-hmm. two years of of uh, you know, real life, and then they're thrown into not only managing sellers, which are a, a personality all to their own, but it's also their first management gig. And we're saying, hey, just go, just go get it done. And so you end up with people that have no idea how to read the data in the first place to actually use it. And I think that's what we found as being one of the biggest gaps is that frontline sales managers aren't data analysts and they don't have the right information to actually bring to the rep. And even if they knew what to look for, um, spending the time to go find that on a rep by rep basis and even on a week by week basis to measure improvement is just not possible. They just don't have that time or know how to do it. And so I think that's where we see a, a big gap overall. Yeah, but I interpreted this different though, a little bit differently, which was that it was almost like uh, the sellers were saying, look, I need a proven recipe. And the data tells me that this is the recipe. Where if the coach says, look, whether they have a ton of experience or not, is, yeah, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? You know, when you're in this situation, what would you do? Where people problem solve for themselves. You know, because that's what sales is. Sales is a big experiment. It should be, right? And I think this is this is this gap is that you learn how to sell by experimentation, not by somebody giving you a recipe and saying, 
this works. And how do it seems like reps have to get comfortable with this idea that there is no recipe, right? They're they're going to go out and call on one of seven and a half billion people in this world. They have their own unique personality. They're not going to be just like anybody else. And and how do you adapt to that situation? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. You know, there there is a lot of ambiguity in in selling and how you're going to adapt to your buyers. I mean, I think that's definitely you know one of the challenges that um, reps are going to face, especially. Uh, going forward is how do we align to what our buyer needs today and how do we help them navigate what their uh, you know, decision makers internally need and so on and so forth. And I think the the big thing that we saw in a lot of the comments and, and additional factors was I'd like to see how so-and-so is doing it. And it's not necessarily, I guess, the recipe, but they're definitely doing it better than I am, and I'd love to learn or be able to sure, uh, peer borrow and, and yeah, exactly, and and uh, emulate those folks around me. And I think that that is you know when we talk to you know leaders and things of that nature, it's it's how we show what what's that model, and maybe it's not a recipe, but what's the model that a top rep is doing? What are the inputs they're doing? And you, you're never going to replicate somebody's personality. But are there certain things that we can make become scalable and leverage the data to identify those things and then compare me to those things so that I can start to get closer to what that model should be? Right. And and if you have a conversation with one of those top reps and and it's like, oh, okay, they do that. Hmm. How would I do that? As opposed to, yeah, I'm gonna just do exactly what they did. It's it's the <laughs> right. thought should be, oh. Because to your point, they're different than I am. I mean, that's how I, one of the ways I learned how to sell was was obviously through peers and through people with more experience, picking their brain, seeing what they did, watching them on a call, um, and saying, oh, hmm, next time I've got in a similar situation, I might try something like that. But it's, it's, it's like this demand for data, for me, speaks to people being unwilling to develop and trust their instinct and their intuition. Even if you don't have experience necessarily in sales, you have experience as a human, and this is a human business, you're dealing with other humans, is you have to get so bound up in saying, oh, this is what I'm going to do in this situation based on this data and so on, you'll become so ponderous in the way you sell that it'll be painful for <laughs> you and the buyer. Definitely. And, and I think you know, the, the um, aspect of creativity is so necessary um, to not only feel comfortable saying something, you know, when I when we talk uh, about training reps and, and things we've done in the past, it's about creating a flexible framework. Here are the things that we need, how you decide to get them, and how you feel most comfortable doing that. It's going to be the best result. I think when I when I think more about the kind of um, coaching with data, the way that I look at the the conversation is a little bit more of, hey, I need you to get up to this level, whatever that level might be. And we both can agree that if we do these things that we get there. And I think that the the gap that I see in a lot of those conversations between manager and rep, and this might be what the reps are, are asking for is how do then we measure those incremental steps? How do I measure those steps to get better? Whether it be leading indicators, a, a better conversion rate at a certain stage, whatever that choke point is for that seller, if they're out there just, doing the same thing over and over 
and not having anybody come in and say, hey, let's change this or know that that is the broken thing. I think that's where we see a lot of that gap in terms of coaching without data, where it's like, hey, just try harder. And, that, and that's really not an answer anymore. And so it's how do you use that information to say, hey, if we did something different in stage two or in your, your second meeting or your demos or where people are falling off and have that supporting information, now we can actually guide a rep to find that opportunity to be creative, find that opportunity to try something new. Otherwise, they just keep doing you know the same thing, and and we don't see any any gains or any results there. Okay. Um, so the next thing that was in the report was talking about the sales coaching gap, where, and this is, gosh, time immemorial is has <laughs> been going on, is that managers say, yeah. Coaching's important. We got to do coaching. We got to do coaching. And they don't, right? And you mm-hmm. saw, certainly saw this where, you know, high, high, high fraction of, of sales leaders and frontline managers say, yeah, coaching's really important. And yet, barely a quarter of the individual reps are saying that they receive ongoing coaching. Absolutely. And I think that this one is one that, you know, we, we see time and time again. And it's, in my viewpoint, there are two big gaps that make this uh, something that just hasn't gone away. And, and on one side, you have training of managers. And I think this is something that without that investment, you know, we could have a multiplier effect of training a manager means that you're going to get you know, however many reps, let's say it's eight on average, that's an improvement across eight people. The, the manager is the lever, but we're not training at that level. So then you have somebody coming in that really doesn't know fundamentally um, how to coach because they probably didn't get coached when they were a rep. And so it's just this constant flow that happens. And the second piece that we, we see a lot is that the separation between the job, as we talked about earlier, of here is, you know, putting in your forecast and and doing deal reviews. And that is not coaching in terms of performance. That is just the the day-to-day reporting. And a lot of companies haven't taken the step of separating the two and understanding that those two things um, by separating them will actually have a lever to increase productivity and increase results, which then make every deal review and every forecast more accurate and better and better. And so I think it's, it's a combination of both the, we need to invest more in our managers from the get go because they're the ones that are going to be the accountability layer and uh, performance improvement layer to our reps, as well as then uh, being able to understand that they do need to separate the things that are a part of their job. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that if you're to ask a frontline manager, how do you improve someone's performance is they only think about it in context of, well, how do I help this person hit quota mm-hmm. as opposed to how do I elevate this person as an individual, whether it's skills, mindset, you know, business acumen, whatever the levers are that we potentially pull in order to help them get better. So it's not just a matter of hitting quotas is, you know, they, they just become better all the way around. Yes, they will probably hit quota. They're probably going to crush quota. Uh, but it's it's not looked at. We're such short-sighted. And I think part of this has to do, too, with managers these days just not um, understanding how to allocate their time. Mm-hmm. And you sort of alluded to that earlier, is, is 
we don't train managers, as you said, which is absolutely true. Um, you know, there's been some research that there are big quotes that saying, you know, if you want to get a 19% uplift in sales, train your frontline managers. Fantastic. But what are you training them in? And I think one of the key things is where do they spend their time. Yeah, time management uh, for you know most frontline managers is what's the loudest uh, fire that I, I think I need to put out today, right? It's it's the chasing our tails and, and saying you know which rep is the loudest and, and what do I have to do today versus understanding that there is a uh, an order of operations that you can apply and by taking control back on your day you'll actually achieve significantly more. I think the other piece that ends up happening is you know we've we've started to see um, and obviously you guys you guys talk about this a lot we have a, a lot of opportunities now with enablement and I think that managers uh, then see that as well I, I don't have to do that and, and I think that's a huge gap too where what we really need to be doing is taking what enablement is is giving us and make sure that that's being applied and that those areas are continuing to be enhanced and so we kind of invest around managers. And then they, they trickle off and, and don't say, I need to go do that now. I think the other piece around time management is being number one. And then number two is being able to identify what is going well and what is going poorly on an individual basis. I think in a lot of cases, we take a, a one size fits all. And that's because we don't have the ability to identify individual weak points or areas of opportunity. And that's the other big area that I see as a, an opportunity to train managers on is how do we find those gaps and help fill them in to, no matter what the, the rep's personality is, be that utility player and, and fill in those gaps so that you can lift them up and, and help them overall. Yeah. I, so I want to get to that because that sort of was next on my list to talk about. But I sort of another thing that that your data sort of talked about is is that I think it's in there quoted as 28% of individual contributors state that they receive ongoing coaching with actionable next steps. And, and it's sort of interesting. I don't know if that was an artifact of how you phrased the question or so on, but you know, the role of coaching is not to provide the answers to what the next steps are. It's to help the rep understand how to ask the questions and and really problem solve for themselves. And and this this is why for me it, it sort of aligned with the other thing about why they wanted coaching you know, coaching with data support supportive data is like again hey, we're, no one's here to give you the answers you have to figure this out we want to give you the tools to help you figure out the answer to help you go out and become more successful but it's not by saying yeah here's step one step two step three uh, if you're working on opportunity if you're doing a good job coaching you're not being directive, that's like going out and doing the selling yourself. How are you helping that person evaluate the situation and come to a good conclusion about what they should do next? Yeah, I think the, uh, it, it might be on, on how the, the question is phrased. I think when we've looked at this, and, and maybe this is uh, a bias that I interpreted this was, kind of the, the follow-on of coaching. I think there's you know plenty of conversations that um, you have in, in a manager gives a, gives either a, a tip or a, uh, an ask or, um, hey, I think if, if we try it, let's go try this on this deal, see what happens. Or what do you think about trying these two options? 
And then there ends up not being a, a follow through on that. And when I, when I think about coaching overall, it's the, you know, follow through those, the, you know, come back to say the, the soccer team, the, you know, if, if I do my mile this week and I'm supposed to shave some time on it, you bet they're going to come back and, and check. Did I shave some time on it? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's that follow through that a lot of managers miss on if, if we're going to have something that we're all going to work on and we're all going to push on the worst thing we can do as managers is not dig into that again, not ask about that again. If a rep has a problem, come back to that and say, Hey, is that getting better? Are we seeing those in terms of results on, on deals or uh, movement on deals and, and being able to follow through on those things and, and stay on them rather than talk about it once or twice and it falls by the wayside? I think that's really the, the big gap that I see around that topic of follow through with reps. Uh, nobody likes to just get bounced around and, and have suggestions that uh, you know, don't lead anywhere. And so I, I I, I envision that world being, you know, if we're really coaching at a high level, what we're able to do is say, here are the things that I think you can go improve upon. Here are two, two different directions, you know, especially if, if you want to give them the opportunity to decide what's their best motion. And then make sure we follow through, track that. Say, did we, did we see the result that you wanted, Mr. or Mrs. Rep? Did we see the lift that we were hoping for? And if not, let's continue to iterate there. Okay. I mean, along this, this sort of same lines is another sort of key finding you reported was that only 9% of managers said that it's easy to proactively spot problems. And <laughs> again, that's another one sort of flabbergasted me, quite frankly, and, and not picking on you because you're just reporting the data, but it's, it's um, one of the reasons given is that you know, they had all these different dashboards to go to, to, to look at. And it's like, well, yeah, not to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, people were selling for 100 years before we had these, the tools that we use now, is if the tools didn't exist, you'd find a way to spot problems. So are, have we become, again, so reliant on the technology that we're forgetting that this is a human business we're in? And, yeah, managers have to, have to act like humans and go talk to people and find out what the problems are. Yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, a good point. I think you the piece that I I wonder too is is kind of in the same light of the the numbers game. So we we end up having um, so much uh, either given to us or automated today with all with a lot of technology tools that surround uh, individual contributors. That how do we go in and really analyze what's working, and what's not? And so I think that's one piece of, of that, that puzzle. And also how, how, how do we expect a manager that has eight, 10 reps to really be on each of those calls and hear and see what's going on? And so I think that it's the, the combination of uh, you know, teaching them how to go find those things, uh, potentially to your point, you know, eliminating all the places that they can go to uh, really dive in because you can get lost in data. And especially if you don't know what you're doing with that data, you can make it say whatever you want and spend way too much time in it. And, and so keeping managers focused on uh, either being with reps, spending more time with them um, and in front of clients so that you can see where things are going well and where things are going poorly is definitely a big component of that. And 
it also comes back to the the training piece. If they know what to be looking for, they don't have to rely on on data and dashboards. They can go in and, and actually look for those things. But I think all of that still comes back to do they know what to be looking for? And that starts with the the training and, and understanding um, that a lot of them are lacking, or if it isn't being given by their senior leadership. Uh, if senior leaders are only talking about the numbers and only reading off results, your managers are going to emulate that, and and they're going to waste time in those dashboards. Well, but I think they also managers. If you're a first time manager in sales, you have to keep in mind is that I'm assuming you're in sales yourself is your first frame of reference is what you went through your own experience. So if you're looking at, wow, you know, Sarah seems to be struggling. Um, well, when I was in that position and I had a deal like this, what, what was I going through? Right. And, mm-hmm. and use that, use that human connection, that empathy to start with. I mean, I firmly believe that the frontline manager should be spending 20% of their time in one-on-ones with their team. And if you're spending that much time with them, which you should be, then you're going to know that something's off, right? You can use the data to help drill down, but you, if you have those conversations, if you're in touch with your people like that, you may have better insight in sort of the macro reasons that are driving the problems instead of just sort of, hey, there's a motion we're not doing on this particular deal, because oftentimes the problems are not deal-related, they're people-related. They start with the person. Definitely. And the, the personalities as well. Right. And I think that's the, the big thing that always um, struck me as a, a sales manager is, is when you do spend that time, how do you uncover with each seller what makes them tick and what are the things that you can identify with them? I think the, the challenge that you can run into uh, relying too much on uh, your past experience is that you're going to have such a variance of um, approaches across your sales team in terms of how they take on deals, how they win deals. You know, everybody, uh, if they really are being creative and learning uh, the right way, is going to find their own path. And so, the big, the one caution I always, I always give with a, a new manager is, if you're going to, you know, really lean in, make sure that you're open to what is working for them today, and enhance that, support that, and be open to what can help them fill in their own gaps uh, without putting too much of your your own uh, either personality or experience on it just because that may not work for somebody else. And oh, absolutely. being open to that opportunity is really where you start to see uh, a lot of trust built, right, with your sellers. They're going to come back and say, you know, I, I tried this and, and letting them know that it's okay if it doesn't work out and, and we'll try something new is going to build that cohesity where they actually come back and, and communicate with you on that. And I think that that's also another piece of that follow through where if you do give that advice, make sure you're coming back and, and digging in with them because it's going to be different for every seller. Well, and that's a critical point. That was sort of what I was getting at is that, that is that too often we default to our process. We default to a method. We default to a playbook is in this implicit pressure that every seller needs to be like every other seller. Mm-hmm. And to your point is they're not, and they never will be. So as a frontline manager, what are you doing to encourage people to become the best version of themselves within the process that you have? Right? Because they are going to react differently to every situation. They're going to react because they are their own individual personality. And I, that to me is a real element of pers- performance management that, um, 
if you think the answer is always in the data, you're going to miss the, the human aspect of it, which has to work with the data to help people improve. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's spot on because we, we always talk about, you know, the, the flexible framework that you should set up. The process is there to spot big problems. The process is there to uh, ensure that, you know, we can look at, at bigger outcomes, but the front line is really about how do we help this individual's outcomes? And if they are following the process and we're still seeing gaps, that's really where that individual performance piece comes in. So you could, you could follow a process all day long and get nowhere and sell nothing. And that's the big challenge. And that's where, you know, by having that individual one-on-one spotting that performance gap, the other big piece there is, is that across the, the overall team? Is this manager somebody that's not able to elevate their team? Because that's also a big challenge that we face um, today is having mm-hmm. the wrong people in the wrong seats. Sure. And so I think when you look at the data side of it, it's what's the macro view of, overall performance for a team. And to your point, that's not going to be the same data you're using or even should be using to go down and say, how do I help you as, a, as an individual seller improve your craft? Yeah. Well, and I think part of that ties to the fact that, that too, is that you take these relatively inexperienced sellers and make them managers. And that I mean, that certainly was the case in my career. I was, I don't know, 18 months in my career when I got promoted <laughs> management. Yep. I was managing 12 people and it was like, yeah, I'm, I mean, some of these people have been working in sales for 20 years that I suddenly was managing. Right. Is, is you can't approach this with the uh, attitude that you know everything. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You got to be, be comfortable in knowing that you don't know everything, but that you can help people find the answers, right? And that's, I think that's, that's really the approach you take. And if, if you can help them by spotting something in the process that shows through in the data that you know they're doing something at the wrong time or the wrong thing in the wrong place consistently, then yeah, helps help spot the answers, help them sort of say, okay, well, maybe I should be doing this differently at this point in time, uh, and just be. It's okay to be. <laughs> I know personality wise doesn't work for a lot of sellers, but it's okay to be vulnerable. Right, right. Well, I, I've always had a rule that. Um, you're really never going to get a seller to change or um, do something until they've, they've tried it themselves and either not had success or all of a sudden feel like it's their idea, right? So that, that repetition in coaching is how do I give you a couple options, but step back and let you see if they work. And if we don't do that, then uh, you know, that, that forceful mentality just doesn't work for salespeople. It's just not how we're wired. Um, and so you've got to be both transparent, uh, open to different choices, and then let them go out and see what happens and have them come back. And now we can talk about what we do different next time. Um, but it's mm-hmm. always you know, giving them that opportunity to go out and figure out for themselves what's going to work, but helping to be there and, and kind of catch and, and fill in where you can because it, it's not always going to work out. Yeah. Well, the same thing is true for to your point, for managers as well as uh, sellers, we're experimenting our whole career. I mean, I like to say sales is one of these things like golf. You know, you never perfect <laughs> golf. Right. Right. You just hope to get better and you keep working at it and practicing and so on. Sales, same way. You're, you'll, you could be <laughs> selling for 40 years. You're, if you've got an open mind and you still want to improve, yeah, every day you're trying to learn that little thing that'll help you get better. Um, and I think for a lot of frontline managers, you sort of have to, 
imagine you're sort of like the the school teacher that feels like every day he or she's working hard just to stay one step ahead of their students. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and that's okay. I mean, being pressured by the people that work for you to get better, nothing better. And, and your, your success on that level, um, you know, I think the, the big thing too that managers may not always think about is you're a hero, whether you were involved in every deal or not, if your team is seeing success, if each of your reps is being successful, it has no uh, regard for how much you are involved in each of their deals. And I think that's the big thing that um, you know, the best managers learn is that step back, the areas that reps can do really well in and, and can you, know, you can learn from them, let them run and, and learn and, and, and do those things. The time to step in is, is when you know that this isn't a rep strong suit. You know, some reps mm-hmm. are great at closing. Other reps are, are really poor at the relationship side, and knowing where you can be that uh, you know addition to the conversation or, or help out is where you really kind of put your own ego in check and allow those folks to excel in those areas and sit back and, and be you know watch them succeed. And so I think that's the, the other big thing that a lot of young managers don't realize is that the superhero mentality doesn't last you know it you're either going to run your best reps out of the business or uh you're going to get burned out and get moved back down to rep and and that's okay if, if that's where you need to be but you know being the superhero is really not the the best way to success it's it's being the utility player that is uh filling in and teaching where you can on those gaps and, and letting them be really successful in the areas that they're strong yeah well, that's perfect all right. Well, Pat, we've run out of time, but uh, enjoy the conversation. So how can people find out more about this report or find out more and connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the report can be found at, at loop.co, so L-O-U-P-E dot C-O. Um, and uh, the, probably the most information about me is on LinkedIn. So my uh, LinkedIn.com forward slash P-R-O-D-G is uh, how you can find me on LinkedIn. All right. Perfect. Pat, thanks a lot. We'll look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Pat Rogers for sharing his story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, then let us know how we're doing. Well, then we'd appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help, and thank you for investing your time to join me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.